Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, the message today is entitled Double Hungry. How's that after Christmas? And I want to explain that in just a little bit, but to start off this message, I'd like to review our renewed vision that we talked about starting in September. And I want to ask you if you'd read it with me out loud. We want to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. Do you mind reading that one more time? Just notice the different words. To see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. So on this Sunday before uh, 2020 starts, uh, I want to mainly address a question there, and you'll see it in the notes. What does it look like to give ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission? What does it look like? I mean, how will we know if we're actually doing that? Are those just words that look nice on a piece of paper? Or how does it look when people are giving themselves of all ages to Jesus and his mission? And um, I want to answer that with the double hungry uh, idea. But before I, I share that, one of the things that Jesus asks people from time to time is, what do you want? It's another way of saying, what are you hungry for? What do you really want? Not what do you say you want? What do you think? You, what do you want? And uh, I know that that's been an important question in my life. Here's why. Because I can say all the right words. I can say I want something. I can, you know, think I'm at a certain place. But here's what I've noticed. What I really want is what I will really get around to. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21. Here's just a paraphrase of this uh, verse there. Um, it says, for your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Whatever is most important to you, your heart will find a way to get there. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you're following along in the notes, notice we're formed by what we give ourselves to and want most. We're formed, we're shaped, we're influenced. Our character is being shaped for good or for ill by whatever we give ourselves to, whatever we want most. And so this is the big question. What are you hungry for? What do you want? And this has been a question I, I've wrestled with. So as we start 2020, what do you want? What are you hungry for? Do you want to be a person that's giving yourself fully to Jesus and his mission? Maybe you're not there yet. But if you're considering that, I want to talk to you about what it might look like. So there's two hungry for phrases in this notes, the, the headings. And the first one that I know the Lord wants us to be hungry for is for the word of God, if you're following along, for the word of God. And in my message notes out to the right in that white space, I just put the Bible. Hungry for the word of God. That's the first part of double hungry. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles uh, we're going to look at a couple of different passages in Matthew, Matthew's gospel. And if you turn there, it's about three-fourths of the way back. The Black Bibles, I believe it's on page 785. We've got that there on the screen. If you want to be a first-hander with the word there and look at that, Matthew 4, we'll look at that, and then Matthew 6. But as we think about being hungry for the word of God, I don't know if you can multitask, but here's a, a line in the message notes that I want to just tell you. Why, do we, why is that an issue? Well, here's why. Because 87% of Americans, if you're following along, 87% of Americans own a Bible. In fact, the average American owns three. 87% of Americans own a Bible. Over 50% have read little or none of it. You know, don't you, that most people don't know the Bible anymore in the United States. 
I, I was struck by this the other night. Uh, Trish and I were up in the Chicago area with Trish's family, and I was talking to one of our nephews who's part of a comedy club up in Chicago. And he was just talking about some of his uh, young friends. Then uh, this guy was asking him a spiritual question. So he says, hey, why don't you pull out your Bible or bring your Bible with you the next time we meet? And he goes, excuse me? He says, I don't have a Bible. He said, I've never even looked inside a Bible. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, I got to be sensitive to the fact that there's a different starting point for a lot of people in the United States. Some people haven't had the same opportunity or privilege I have, nor have some people had the same hunger or interest I've had. I just need to understand that. And so that's where we're at. We are in a country that is increasingly, you know, in the old days, kids got taught the Bible just in school because they used that as one of the textbooks. Not the case anymore. And so we live in an increasingly secular and uh, disinterested in the Bible uh, generation. So that's where we're at. So the question is, are we going to be people that are hungry for the word of God? Jesus talks about this. Now, if you turn to Matthew 4, you'll notice that the context of Matthew 4 is that Jesus is being tested in the wilderness by the devil. He's just been baptized. Again, we talked about this a few months ago. Uh, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit had this incredible dance at his baptism. They're all uh, celebrating that he's the one that's been sent to earth to make a difference. And then Jesus is sent into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. For 40 days, he doesn't eat any food. Interesting line, if you look at Matthew 4, you'll see this interesting phrase, and he was hungry. I bet he was. And he was hungry for bread. So the evil one testing him says, if you are the son of God, I didn't know that was up for debate. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. In other words, Take care of things on your own. You don't need to trust God. You don't need to check in with that. Come on, just do whatever you feel like. Do what you want. And Jesus instead answers them. We have the answer in the first gray box there in the notes so we can all read off the same translation. Would you join me? But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus isn't saying food's bad. He's just saying, if you want food more than you want the word of God, you're not going to really live. The only way to really live is to feed on the word of God. Is that what you're hungry for? Here's my challenge, just so you know, I'm, I'm one of you. So every week, I've noticed that I gotta pay attention to the intake in my life. I gotta pay attention to what I'm feeding my mind, feeding myself with, what I watch, what I listen to, who I let speak into my life, who I let influence my life. I can be just as effective as any of you. The question is, am I feeding myself with the word of God? Am I trying to live without every word that comes from the mouth of God? And so if you're following along, notice this, that growing disciples who make disciples, which by the way, back in September, we said that's the mission Jesus has given every church, growing disciples who make disciples, if you're following along, feed themselves each day with God's word. That's what growing disciples do. Now, I, I am struck by the idea here that what I want to do, I've done this uh, many last Sundays of the year in the last 25 years. Some of the other pastors, we've taken turns doing this. But usually on the last Sunday of the year, we do a thing we've called the Bible challenge. What do I mean by that? We've invited people, would you consider being in the Bible each day in the coming year? And some people, you know, I'm sure say, uh, Jeff, are uh, you ever going to pick a different subject? And here's all I want to say about that. Here's why I probably never will. First of all, because the only way 
we can become what Jesus wants us to be is if we're giving ourselves fully to his word. But second of all, I've seen some amazing things happen. I told this in the last service, but there was a young couple a number of years ago that walked into our church on the Sunday that we were giving the Bible challenge. They had both gone to church their entire lives. But that Sunday, they noticed that something was different. And so when they heard me say, would you be willing to be in the Bible each day in the coming year? Uh, the guy said to me afterwards, he said, no one in all the years I'd gone to church, no one had ever challenged me to read the Bible on my own. So here's what I want to say. I'm hoping you don't leave this room today without at least one person in your life challenging you to read the Bible each day. Here's what happened. So eventually he did it that year. Now he's one of our Bible teachers. And he's changing people's lives by teaching the word of God and inviting people to read the Bible. Here's another story. There's a guy in our church. If you met this guy, you'd know he's the genuine article. He's 90 years old now. He came up to me when he was 79 or 80 years old. He and his wife had just started coming to this church. They heard the message in the Bible challenge. Again, I don't remember if I gave it or someone else gave it. It doesn't matter. But he came up to me afterwards, and he held his Bible in his hand, and he said, I just wanted to tell you, it took me a while to do it. It took me all year. And he said, but first time, he said, I've gone to church since I was a baby. First time I've ever read the Bible cover to cover. Thank you. Friends, my mentor taught me that you cannot be deeply influenced by that which you do not know. If we don't know the word of God, it can't have sway. It can't shape us. It can't influence us. If that's not what we want, then we will miss out. And Jesus said, you may try to live on bread alone. Don't do it. Live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So at some point, you've got to ask yourself, because I know our culture is getting a bit squirrely on this subject. Do you believe this is God's word? Billy Graham got to the place that even though people were telling him, you know, there's errors in the Bible, there's all this kind of stuff in the Bible, and what about this, what about this? He said, he finally fell on his knees one night, and he said, by faith, I'm going to teach this as the word of God. And we know what happened in so many people's lives. So I came to the same conclusion at 15. I am so thankful for the privilege of inviting you to get to know every word of God. So here's what I want to talk to you about is what you may be here and you may be going, okay, Jeff, um, you are aware that your life may be different than mine. Yes, I am. In fact, I know that some of you are mothers that have little bambinos hanging on your ankles so that you can't even get a break during the day to use the bathroom. I know that. So when you hear a message like this, you may be going, how am I going to shoehorn in time to read the word of God? I don't know exactly how you'll do it, but here's something that's helped me, and here's what I think may help you, is I noticed, especially after I became a youth pastor, I noticed that I was very inconsistent reading the Bible myself, and I was a pastor, and I thought, oh man, I, I knew that I wanted to make sure I was growing this way and not just asking other people to grow this way, but I kept noticing inconsistency. So here's what helped me nail it down. Here it is if you're following along. What's my place? time and portion size for 2020. What's my place, time, and portion size? Now, again, I found that having uh, a pen and being able to mark and follow along in the Bible, all that stuff helped. But what really took me to the next place is when I finally realized that each day, if I had a place to go to, a regular place where I could place my Bible and I knew my Bible would be waiting there, 
There's a room in our house that I've gone to every day for years to read the Bible. I know that's where I'm going to meet God. The second thing I had to nail down is I had to figure out what's the best time for me to do that. So for me, it's early in the morning. Some of you say uh, even Jesus couldn't resurrect me in the morning. All I'm saying is whatever, whatever it is, you have to figure out, is it at night? Is it at lunch? Is it in the morning? When is it? And then, here's the other thing. So, again, I started, when our kids were little, when I was a youth pastor, I would get up uh, early in the morning and carve out about 15 minutes just to make sure that I was at least chewing on the Word of God myself, being a first-hander. But the other thing that helped me, and here's what I want to say to all of you, because some of you are hearing me say you have to read the entire Bible from cover to cover this year. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what's the best portion size for you? If you're someone like I mentioned earlier, it may be just one verse for the day. It may be the same verse all week, but you're just meditating on, chewing on it. Now, I'll just say several things to you. When I was, so God really came real to me when I was 15. But I, I, even though I had been, I knew a lot of the stories in the Bible, I was still learning how to read the Bible because it's not necessarily easy to read the Bible. There's lots of questions that come to our mind. So what I did is I noticed that there were some people that were ahead of me in the faith. And one guy used to come into the grocery store where I worked when I was bagging groceries. And I noticed he had this slip of paper in his hand. And I said to him one day, because he was a person in our church, I said, what's that in your hand? He said, it's both my grocery list and my Bible verse list that I meditate on these verses this week. I go, ooh, I need one of those. So I said, would you give me, every time we see each other here in the grocery store, would you give me one of those Bible verses on your list? Because I want to keep getting more familiar with the Bible. He said, I'll do it. So we see each other every week. You give me a verse. I go home and read it. And I go, man, that means even more to me because it means a lot to my friend. Well, then after a few weeks of doing that, he said, okay, here's the deal. I'm not going to keep giving you Bible verses if you're not going to give me one. I go, well, I'm still like new. He goes, you got you to you gotta be fair here. So I would get ready and I'd give him a verse. And what I noticed, what, I, what happened is in high school then, again, we're in a high school of 2,000 kids for three grades, so not everybody's interested in God, Jesus, or the Bible. But what we noticed is those of us who were Christians, we would slip each other Bible verses on slips of paper when we pass each other in the hallway. What I'm saying is if you're hungry for the word of God, you'll find a way. You will find a way to move towards what you're hungry for. And I just want to say, if you, again, how, you may say, okay, yes, but how? So here's some things I've shown before. Maybe this is helpful. We live at a great time. So here's a couple of websites or apps. So here's, first is BibleGateway.com. That also is an app for the phone. I use it both on my phone, but mainly on my computer or tablet. The BibleGateway.com not only has all kinds of different Bible translations where you can check and see a verse and said different ways, but also here's why I'm suggesting it. It has Bible reading plans. So I've noticed if I don't have a plan, I'm planning to fail. So once I had a plan, so it has plans for four days long. It had its plans for 365 days. Uh, last year, we had a Bible reading plan in the church. I'm going to talk to you about how we're doing things differently this year. But so if you're saying, Jeff, what's your plan? My plan is primarily to read the four Gospels in the book of Acts this year. And I'm going to read it over and over. And I'm going to hang out with Jesus. And I'm going to try and see what his people were like after he ascended into heaven. Now, here's what we're going to do as a church. Next Sunday, Steve is going to teach the first message in our series on the book of Acts. It's going to be called, the series called Onward, and we're going to look at what Jesus' work continued to be in the world after he ascended into heaven through his people. And it's going to be a great opportunity. But what he also has done, and this is mentioned in your bulletin, he took time to write a study guide. 
So both in our life groups, or if you want to do this individually, there's going to be a place every day that after you hear the message on Sunday, you'll be able to work through some questions that'll help you think about those verses that we just studied on Sunday even more deeply. So that's going to be a great new addition this year. And so, again, you may say, what's my Bible reading plan from now until summer? Maybe it's just the book of Acts. You could start reading even before the year begins if you're interested in doing so. I'm going to suggest another idea later, but that's just, I'm just giving ideas. Are you hungry? So here's another thing I want you to make sure I say, because sometimes if we're not careful, and I've fallen into this too many times, I get a list and I go, check, and I miss the whole purpose of ever opening a Bible. And here it is if you're following along. The goal is to know, love, and obey Jesus and be Jesus-centered. The goal is to know, love, and obey Jesus and be Jesus-centered. And so this is where God wants to take us. He wants us to keep growing in this, and it's just so easy to drift. One of the things that, again, I just have to keep asking myself is, Jeff, what you think you may be hungry for is actually you're really hungry for God. So make sure you fill yourself with what he says, God's word. I've, I've just watched again. Uh, there's just a drift that's natural for all of us. So what does it look in your life? I, I hope, I'm just praying that while you're listening to me talk, that you'll be having ideas go through your mind across a ticker that you'll go, okay, that's one way I can practice this this year because I'm hungry and I want to get even more hungry. That's the first part of double hungry, okay? Are we hungry for the word of God? Second part is, are we hungry for the work of God? If you're following along, that's the second heading is hungry for the work of God. And in that white space out to the right, I've just written the word prayer, prayer. Now, why do I bring this up? Not only do we need to know that we live in a world that's becoming increasingly biblically illiterate, but we also live in a world that I talked about last week that's becoming what seems to be increasingly dark. So if you're following along, we can lose heart as the U.S. grows more secular and disinterested in God. We can lose heart as the U.S. seems to grow more secular and disinterested in God. Now, again, I've told you, I, I still believe God's working, but there are times where it looks like if he is working, he's working in quiet corners and not in any dramatic ways that sometimes we long for. So what do I mean by being hungry for the work of God? And what is our part in that? I mean, doesn't God do it all? So God asks us to join him in his work. This is what we mean by giving ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission. We could say giving ourselves fully to Jesus and his work in the world. But when we're talking about that, we're living in a world that's easy to lose heart. What usually happens, and I've noticed tendencies like this in myself, is when things look like they're just getting worse, we're tempted to do one of two things. Power up or give up. It's so easy for us just to become complacent and go, well, that's somebody else's problem, or, you know, I guess it just has to be this way. And the early church was part of the Roman Empire that was increasingly declining, and they refused to give up or power up. Instead, what they learned from Jesus is that's when it's time to pray. Pray like never before. So I don't know if you're like me, but I used to think that it was wrong to feel weak. But the longer I live, the more okay I am with feeling weak. Let me tell you a couple stories. So I was reviewing this morning in the Old Testament book of Judges, Judges 7. 
There's a man named Gideon. Now, most of us don't know a lot about Gideon, but Gideon, just to give you a background, was like the lowest class of people in Israel. So when an angel showed up and said, greetings, you know, noble warrior, basically Gideon was going, uh, who, who are you talking to? I mean, he couldn't believe that God wanted to talk to him or God wanted to involve him. So it had a conversation with God and God was patient with him and God said, look, I want to work in you, through you, I want to do something. I'm working in the world and I want to include you, I want to involve you. So Gideon finally said, okay. So Gideon had an army of 32,000 men, but he was coming against an enemy army of Midian of 100,000. So he kept thinking, okay, maybe if we have a right strategy or we do things just right, uh, even though we're outnumbered three to one, we can still win. While he's thinking about that, the Lord comes to him and says, you have too many soldiers. Um, because if you win with 32,000, you'll believe your strength accomplished it. So here's what I want you to do. Go out to your army of 32,000 and tell anybody who's afraid that they can go home. And when the dust cleared, there was 10,000 men left. Gideon's going, my, oh my, now it's 10 to 1 odds. This is concerning. God comes to him again and goes, you still have too many soldiers. <laughs> I can only imagine he's going, what? And he says, here's what I'm going to do. Take them down to the water and see how they drink. And I want you to take the, the men that cup their hands and drink this way. And those are the ones I want you to fight the Midianites with. And there were 300 men left in his army. And God said, now that's about right. Why? God is okay with taking us through experiences like even maybe what's happened in our country, humbling us so that we're weak and we know it. When we're weak and we know it, God can begin to be strong in and through. That's when God gets all the credit. And so as I think about different messages that have helped me, I think about one that I gave on prayer. And here's what I want you to see in the notes if you haven't already seen it, is that even when we're tempted to lose heart, to power up or to give up, but Jesus teaches us to pray with his Spirit's help. Jesus teaches us to pray with his Spirit's help. In fact, look at this Matthew 5, 3. Look at what he says in the paraphrase of, from the Sermon on the Mount. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Does anybody feel blessed when they're at the end of the rope? Not usually, but Jesus says, that's really a good place to be. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that in and of themselves, all their money, all their resources, all their talent, all their smarts, all their devices cannot bring about the work of God in the world. God can use those, but they have to be supported and empowered by his spirit and prayer. And so he, he teaches people to pray. Well, I'm going to show you in just a second what he teaches. He actually teaches what we often call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But here's what I want to just say. Uh, back in September, and I hope this doesn't sound, I thought if I even mention this, I hope this doesn't sound self-promotional. Sometimes God uses a message that he gives to me to share with you even more in my life than maybe he wants to use in yours. So there was a message I gave September 22nd when we were talking about how do we, what are the holy habits that we can have, the five habits that we can have if we're going to be on mission with Jesus. 
If we're going to rub shoulders with people that are disinterested or far from God, how can we engage with them in an honoring way? How can we show a relational kind of healthiness with people like that? And we shared that the very first habit was to pray. Jesus said, pray. Pray about those interactions. Pray for those people. Care about your community and world. Don't just be a holy huddle. And so we were talking about that. And in that message, God showed me something I had never really ever shared with anybody before and that I needed in my life. So here were the three things that I mentioned that day. That if our prayers do not include surrender, we haven't prayed yet. Jesus will show here that until we come to the place where we say, your will be done, not mine, yours. Until we get to the place of surrender, he isn't really the Lord of our life. He really can't lead us because we'll fight him. We'll keep saying, no, I want my way. And he just goes, what? You got to come to the place where you're willing to surrender and let me lead. I've noticed that many times I can pray and tell God a whole bunch of stuff and I never surrender. But when I do, now I'm in a position for him to work in and through me, but not before. The second thing is dependence. So surrender, dependence. God has had to show me, friends, again, I've been a pastor uh, for over 35 years. And one of the things that I'm tempted to do is say, you know what? I have some experience in the past in this. I've done this a number of times. I've, actually, some people have said I do that pretty good. And it's just easy to go. I think I know how to handle this. And never, ever, never, ever rely on God. That's crazy. So he says, look, never get to the place where you're beyond relying and depending on me. Remember that apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any lasting value. Third thing is prayer needs to include surrender, dependence, and finally listening. I noticed that a lot of my prayers had talking, and I think it's important. He says, pour out your request to me. Hey, tell me your heart. You know, that's fine. But along with talking, do you listen? And I noticed that a lot of my prayer never included listening like this. God, what do you want me to notice? What do you think about this? What do you see? I can't see everything. What do you think? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to surrender? Questions like that, listening. So then, why? Because a surrendered person, a dependent person, a listening person, they're the work of God on the move. If God can do that in your life or my life, do you realize that's one life that's being changed by the work of God? And he wants to do that all over the place in your life and mine. And it's a process. I don't get that right every day, but he keeps bringing me back to surrender, dependence, and listening. And the more I do that, the more I notice that I can join him in his mission in the world. And so if you're following along, here's what I want you to see, is that Jesus came to seek, save, and restore what's been lost. Jesus came to seek, save, and restore what's been lost. Now, out to the right of that, I mistyped uh, something. So instead of Luke 15, 7 and Luke 9, 10, could you make it Luke 19, 10? Because that's when he says to Zacchaeus, the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. And the Bible also says in 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to reverse the curse. He came to restore things. And the Bible says that day is going to happen. It may not always look like it, but he is going to wrap up history, human history, in that way. And that's going to be a powerful day. But we long for that day, don't you? I, I can't wait to see some of those things that we see in our world that aren't right, made right. So Jesus came for that purpose. And if we're going to join him in that, 
We need to want what Jesus wants. We need to, to seek after that. And so let me ask you, if you would, on the back of the notes, so that we can see this, I've listed, again, some words that may be different than you memorize the Lord's Prayer. Thanks for your patience with me. Because it's not the exact words that are so important in this as it is the heart of what he's saying in this prayer. And so you may not see the word trespasses or you may not see thy or some of those things or hallowed, but this is the prayer. So would you read it with me? This is how he wants us to learn to pray with this kind of heart. Our Father in heaven, let your name be treated with reverence. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But right now, here's what I want you to see. If you're following along, he teaches us to yearn and learn to pray with others. He teaches us to yearn, to want, and to learn how to pray with others. And so I've shared this story with you before, but I've never forgotten it. One of my favorite preachers from the 1800s was a man named Charles Spurgeon. So someone tells it this way. Many years ago in the late 1800s, five young college students made their way to London to hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon preach. Arriving early at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, they found the door still locked. While they waited on the steps, a man approached them who they thought was the janitor. He said, would you like to see what heats this church? That was not what they had come for, but they agreed to go with him. He led them into the building, down a long flight of stairs and into a hallway. At the end of the hallway, he opened a door that was below the worship center there into a large room filled with 700 people on their knees praying. That, said their guide, who was none other than Spurgeon himself, is what heats this church. It's the secret of every great church. It's where the fire in the pulpit begins. Friends, if when any of us have stood up front here as we've spoke, if God has ever touched you, it wasn't it wasn't because of our ability. It was because there were people praying. There's people praying in every service in that room back there. There are people praying all week long. We have a team of intercessors. Some of you are some of them. Some of you pray every day. Some of you have told me we pray every day for you or for God's work in this church. There's so much prayer going on. For 24 years, every Saturday morning, I meet right here at 9 a.m. to pray with a group of people. And we just pray that God will touch children, students, and adults, not only inside our church, but outside our church. That people of every generation will want and give themselves to Jesus and his mission. Now again, we're just, our feet are made of clay just like yours. This isn't because we're so amazing. It's just because this is how God works. He wants to work in and through people like you and me. And he's the secret of it all. But he invites us to join him. And it's easy to lose heart. It's easy, easy to power up or give up instead of pray. But he keeps calling us back to prayer. And sometimes we do it in groups. Sometimes we do it individually. But we're finding ourselves where we're breathing out prayers. Charles Spurgeon said, the truest form of prayer is most like a cry. 
His people have always been people that call on the name of the Lord. And sometimes it's just a breath prayer. Your kingdom come. Please work here. We need you, Lord. Touch this place. Touch this person in ways I could never reach. And he hears those prayers. And so the challenge is, are we doing it? Is that what we're hungry for? Are we losing heart? Are we hungry for something else? Do we honestly believe that some devices we have, some programs, that somehow if we just keep doing three services, God's automatically going to show up? I don't believe that. God doesn't owe that to us. So one of the reasons we pray is because we believe more will happen when we ask than will happen if we don't. Not because God can't work on his own, but he waits to be wanted. He waits to be asked sometimes. And I praise him that he would consider ordinary people like you and me to be part of his mission in the world. Are you part of it? Are you hungry for this? And when you lose your hunger, do you keep coming back to this with the help of the Holy Spirit? And so I was thinking this week, I was listening to a, a guy named John Tyson, who's a pastor in Manhattan in New York. He's been in a place called Hell's Kitchen there for 14 years with a church. And he says, people come up to me all the time. He says, look, I know New York City. There's nothing I have. I'm not talented. I'm a high school dropout. There's nothing I can do to change this city. But God wants to change this city. So he says, people ask me all the time, what's the answer? And I tell them, you're not prepared for my answer. More prayer than you can comprehend. Years and years of sowing and weeping and crying out to God for the work of his spirit. And I agree. So several different things I'll just share with you. Our staff this coming year, we're going to gather, uh, for those of us that can, each some weeks we'll be able to, we'll have to miss, but whenever we're around, we're going to gather for an hour on Tuesday morning before everything gets going fast, and we're just going to cry out to God. When I was a, a young guy, I had a friend up in Naperville, Illinois area, and um, he took me to one of the, the church that um, he went to, and he said, uh, hey, we're going to go about 5.30 in the morning for this gathering at the church. So I thought, was it a Bible study? What is it? He didn't really tell me. Walked in, and it was kind of dark. There was no lights on. And I noticed there was about 40 or 50 men praying on their knees with different folding chairs. And I remember thinking to myself, this is why when I've worshipped at this church, I sense the presence and the power of God. This is where the heat comes from. That's where the power comes from. And I thought, I want to be that kind of person in that kind of church too, where we don't believe that Cherry Hills ever could accomplish the work of God without the spirit of God in prayer. And so if you're following along, notice that we ask for his manifest presence in our community and world. We ask and we keep asking for his manifest presence in the world. You know, like I do, that his general presence is always there. But there are times when his kingdom power and manifest presence breaks through and touches people in ways that are unusual or ways that are different than just the norm, where all of a sudden we become alive to God. Friends, we've uh, walked around this property over the years, and so we've had people literally tell us that they were driving down Woodside, and all of a sudden they had this overwhelming compulsion to pull into this driveway and step into the office and say, what time are the services, and do you have something for my kids or whatever? And they just begin coming. Uh, and we've just said, God, let our, if people never come to our church, let us be an arrow that points people to you. And we just pray. We just ask God. Now, here's what I want to share with you as we bring this home. 
So I, it's really easy to make this sound big and dramatic, but there's just several things. First of all, remember Wednesday at 10 o'clock. If your heart's open to doing so and you happen to be around, then you're invited. It's just going to be something simple for 45 minutes, and we're just going to pray. You'll be led by some other people to pray, and we'll just do that together. But the other thing is, as I've been studying this this week, it's given me a fresh real, uh, reminder that I want to be hungry for this myself. I don't want to talk to you about something I'm not practicing myself. So yesterday morning, I, I had a wedding to officiate yesterday, and then, of course, this morning. And so yesterday morning, Trish and I just took some time to pray. And while we were praying... Uh, one of the things that came up was just our sense of weakness about our neighborhood. We've lived there 24 years, and I can just tell you nothing dramatic has happened there in 24 years. But we've been praying over and over again there. And so I just said to God, God, let your kingdom come in our neighborhood. We hope we've been salt and light in some way. And if you never let us see what you're doing here, that's okay. It's up to you but help us keep sowing seeds into this neighborhood of your work in the world. Touch people, whether you ever let us see it or not. And it just helped me to get to the place where I finally was able to surrender and tell God that he could work in any way he wanted, dramatically, quietly, and without showing me. Because here's the thing. When you don't see results, you can lose heart. And so here's the other story. So yesterday morning when I was praying with my group of friends here, they said, you got to tell what you just said to us. So I'm under orders. So here it is. A few years ago, I was studying John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. So he said, Jeff, there's something about you where you are so caught up with results and fruit that there's something missing. So he showed me that he said, he took my right arm like this in the picture of my mind, and he said, you see yourself as a branch, and what you do as a branch is you're always looking out at the end of your branches to see if fruit's growing. You want to know, is God using me? And you obsess about that, and you obsess about whether or not there's any fruit or dramatic results going on. He says, you're all caught up with that. And he says, I understand that, but here's the only problem. While you're looking out at the end of your branches all the time, you can't pay attention to me, the vine. So if you'll pay attention to me as the vine and you'll abide in me and you'll seek me and you'll stay tuned into me, I guarantee, I guarantee fruit will grow. You may never see it. I may never show you, but you just need to know there will be fruit growing. But you've got to make up your mind. Which way are you going to look? Which thing are you going to give your attention to? And so four and a half years ago, a number of leaders in our city invited me and other leaders to come and gather on the first and third Tuesday of every month at lunch and just pray. So we've been meeting at the House of Prayer for four and a half years now, and I've met people I didn't know before, and I've come to love brothers and sisters in other churches, and sometimes it's five of us, sometimes it's 12 of us, but we just get on our knees, and we say, our city needs you. There are people that have never had the privilege of knowing you. There are people that are so anxious, so hopeless. God, please do something that we can't do. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know I was going to get emotional like this. So I thought, surely God's going to do something dramatic in the first three months, six months, nine months. I've been doing it for four and a half years. And what he's done instead 
is while he's shown me that prayer changes things, most of the time it changes the prayer. He's made me more interested in my community than I was before. And he's helped me love fellow brothers and sisters that I didn't know before. And even that love, by their love, the world will know. By your love for one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. And so just keep praying. Here's what I know. He may be doing all of our praying. He may take all of our praying. And 50 years from now, Springfield will have a revival. Maybe it'll be five weeks from now. I don't know. That's his business. The question is, am I hungry for what really matters? Am I double hungry for the word of God and prayer? So I want to make sure I don't totally wear you out. So here's what it might look like when you walk around the places you go. What would it look like if this week you just started saying, your kingdom come here. Your kingdom work here. Your will be at work in this person's life, even though they seem hardened towards you. Do a miracle, God, for them like you did a miracle of grace in me. Please, God, show me how to pray. Change, refine my prayers, refine me, whatever. But I'm going to keep being hungry for your work in the world until you come back, Jesus. Show me how to be part of it. So you saw the last line here of the notes. In 2020, teach me how to keep feeding myself and training in prayer. And please keep your notes out because I want to ask you to still look at the Lord's Prayer with me. In 2020, teach me how to keep feeding myself and training in prayer. You know, in Acts 6, we're going to study Acts. Here's Acts 6, 4. I love how it, it capsulizes this whole idea. This is what the early Christians said. We will give ourselves. There's that line again. We will give ourselves continually to what, friends? Prayer. And the ministry of the word of God. Prayer in the word. Prayer in the word. Double hungry. Would you take the Lord's prayer out and look at it with me? And here's what I'm praying. That you will be able to take out of this room maybe just one phrase like your kingdom come. What if that just began to be part of you? Now I told you you could read the Bible each day and maybe it'd just be one verse or a few verses. What if... Maybe you've memorized the, the, the Lord's Prayer. If you have, you, you don't even have to look at this sheet. Maybe looking at this sheet would help you. You can mark it up and see what stands out. But would you be willing to meditate on and pray some of these sentences of the Lord's Prayer this coming week? And again, if you don't see results, don't worry about that. Sow those seeds of prayer into our world. But let's pray together now. Just take time to just talk to God. Whisper your prayers to him. He's listening. Just tell him, God, what you want to be hungry for. And if you're not hungry, ask him to help you get there. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.